Hello and welcome back to Control Alt Delete. This is the podcast where I interview women and men that I admire. I corner them and ask them very nosy questions. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Today's episode is Deborah Francis White, who is someone I've been dying to get on the podcast for so long. She is the host of the massively successful and popular podcast, The Guilty Feminist, which is one of my favourite podcasts. I listen to it all the time, so it was quite funny being in person with Deborah, having known her voice so well. She is an author. One of the books she has co-authored is called The Improv Handbook. She's a very funny stand-up comedian. She's a screenwriter, corporate speaker and executive coach and is very passionate about helping women in business to unlock their personal power. And on that note, uh, really this podcast as well is to talk about a very exciting event that Deborah is launching very soon. In fact, it's on May the 22nd, um, so put that in your diary. She is launching the Guilty Feminist Include Yourself Leadership Day at King's Place. It sounds amazing and we talk more about it on the podcast, so stay tuned near the end for that. To buy tickets, you can go to theguiltyfeminist.com and click on Include Yourself. I love this episode. I basically asked Deborah loads of questions about her very interesting, multifaceted career. I went round to Deborah's house, we sat on the sofa and had a good chat and I had to edit it down a bit actually because we, we just spoke for a long, long time and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So here it is. Welcome to the podcast, Deborah Francis White. Thank you for having me, Emma. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so excited. I always, if I've met the person before, which I have met you before, I always start with a little personal story. And I was like, how funny and weird and cool that we met for the first time at a dinner at the House of Commons. We did. <laughs> we did. Like two metropolitan girls around town. We met at the House of Commons. We met, uh, and, and it's, I'm not there all the time. I don't know about you. No, that's why this sentence is so weird for me. I'm like, yeah. I'm acting like that's normal, that's not normal. I No, I'm not at the Council of Commons having dinner every other night, but it was Jess Phillips <laughs> MP uh, book launch, yes, and which was lots of fun. I met lots of extremely dynamic, interesting women there, and you were very much one of them. So were you. Mm. I felt really honoured to be there. Mm, she was too. a guest on your Guilty Feminist podcast, wasn't she? She was, but I met her at her book launch. Oh. Uh, I... I I can't remember why I was invited to her book launch. I think... Oh, I do remember. I do remember. Because her publisher was a fan of The Guilty Feminist and thought we'd be a good match. And I also loved her in person. And so she did come on the podcast and it was a very successful one. Yeah. She was wonderful. Um, So we're going to talk about The Guilty Feminist podcast near the end. I have so many questions for you on that and just podcasting in general. But... I thought we'd start because obviously I've I only met you recently and this is the funny thing about the podcast is you meet people I guess when they are in the height of amazingness and you're doing so much got so much to talk about but I wondered in short how did you kind of get into what you're doing now I started out doing comedy improv so I, when I was a teenager I became a Jehovah's Witness um my family became Jehovah's Witnesses I assume they thought that adolescence was an ideal time to join a mind controlling cult and it is your brain's very plastic um so i was in a very patriarchal uh, fundamental religion and when i when i was within that there was a book that i discovered called uh, keith johnston's impro and 
I used to watch uh, Theatre Sports in Australia on television, which was a comedy improv show, and I found out that there were classes, so I went to snuck off to some classes, which you were not allowed to do as a Jehovah's Witness, with some other sort of fringy, slightly rebellious, naughty Jehovah's Witnesses. We went off and we did secret impro lessons, comedy impro lessons. So it's sort of, um, I sometimes refer to it as a, whose eternal life is it anyway. And we off we went and we had a secret impro group and where we secretly workshopped and performed until the elders found out and said we shouldn't do that anymore which obviously those days were numbered because uh, that was seen <laughs> as very worldly um and uh but that book that I got then I read it like a sort of like a conduit to my imagination because it was a very high control group in terms of what you were allowed to think and how you were allowed to express yourself so I read this book all of the time and it was um about how to access your imagination how to bypass your sensor. Isn't it interesting how a book can change everything? Oh, completely. And honestly, without Keith's book, I think I would have found it very difficult because that was my lifeline. So when I left the Jehovah's Witnesses, the first thing I did was find improv classes in London and improv shows. And after a while, it didn't quite feel like the sort of improv I was looking for. It was a lot of fun, but it was what, what we call balprov, which is sort of jokes and gags and... Uh, it, it, it didn't quite feel like that I was accessing what I had previously accessed in the in the book. And then uh, the person running the group announced that Patty Stiles, who was a teacher from Canada, who had worked with Keith Johnson, trained with him and learned from him, was going to come to London and do some masterclasses. So I signed up for this masterclass with Patty Stiles. It was the most revelatory thing I just was like this is it this is what I want to do and at the end of the day I got on the tube with Patty I basically followed her (laughs) and was talking to her about everything she taught us and I said um Patty can you teach me to improvise she said yes if you find three other friends and you've just got a room so I found three other people who wanted to do it and one of my friends had a big living room and then we would we would go into this living room and uh, every like a couple of times a week until kind of two or three in the morning and just improvise for hours and hours and hours with Patty teaching us and that, that. that was amazing and that first day she said well I'm getting off the tube now where are you going and I said oh my car is parked back at the workshop space <laughs> I just got on the tube to talk to you <laughs> I had to get the tube back to my car um, that's how keen I was to be yes. you know to learn from her and Patty's like one of my greatest friends now. And she, she only stayed in London six months and she told me she had a boyfriend here and she said she was going to come back, but I didn't trust that. I was like, I know mm. when people you, leave, yeah. relationships break up. And she never came back, not to live. One thing I love about your work and having binged on some of your videos and things this morning and just re- reminded myself like how much you do do, because I think I'm such a fan of the guilty feminist. I, you know, that's not all you do. This morning, I was thinking, you have so many stories, really amazing stories from like your childhood, growing up, moving countries, like all of this stuff. How much do you have to still keep living an exciting life to get new material, new stories? Because to be a stand-up, I mean, I wouldn't be nervous to try comedy, but I I don't think I'm interesting enough. I don't have many stories. No, that's not, it's, it's, uh, it's, everyone's interesting enough. Uh, things that have ha- things have happened to you and you've looked out of windows that no one else has looked out of because of your particular way of growing up, the way perhaps you related to your parents or your siblings or that 
family holiday that you went on. My God, people make Edinburgh shows out of anything. People mm-hmm. make Edinburgh shows out of the day they lost their handbag and thought it had been stolen. I mean, you know, like all sorts of things. So don't... But uh, the art of storytelling, I just, I've been asked to tell stories before. I actually did the moth oh, ages yes. ago. And I have one interesting thing that happened to me. So I used that for the moth. And I did that and I was like, oh my God, I have nothing left. And it just made me really respect people that do multiple shows because that material is is amazing comedians are always uh if you honestly say you here's an example something i'm trying to think of an extreme example that hasn't happened to anyone i know so they don't think it's about them um oh okay i will give you an example Jarlath Regan, an amazing Irish comedian who I adore. He's coming on The Guilty Feminist soon. He's coming on to talk about raising his son as a feminist, which I think is amazing. Mm. Uh, he recently uh, donated a kidney to his brother, and which is, oh you know, a huge operation yeah. and a toll on your body and uh, an emotional strain on your family. My God, your parents, you know, the, the, there's, there'll be an enormous personal tax on that. And I cannot wait to see his show about it. Um, there will be comedians, I guarantee you, he'll be, who will be saying, that lucky bastard, wish my Eustace brother needed a kidney. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, there will be people who will be like, oh, small price to pay, and sort of saying, saying to their, their siblings, do you not need anything? Like, I don't know, hair? I don't know, what? You've given me nothing here. You've given me nothing to work with. And uh, I remember Russell Kane, the comedian, saying to me in a tour van years ago when I... I, I used to never tell anyone I was a Jehovah's Witness any, ever because I used to just found it. I'd been identified that way for so many years. I, I wanted nothing to do with it. So I hid it for a long time. Um, I just didn't want to be defined that way. And I was sort of coming out around about it to people I knew or in conversation, you know, if religion came up in, I don't know when I went on tour with the Melbourne Comedy Festival, 2009, something like that. And... I remember Russell Kane saying, you were a Jehovah's Witness. You're so lucky. Why are you not talking about that? That's ridiculous. That is obvious stand-up. And I'm like, there's nothing funny about it. There's nothing funny about it, Russ. It's just not funny. And he was like, you're insane. You knocked on doors. And like, what did people say? And yeah. how did you feel about that? Because that on a poster, it's like, I want to go to that show. Yeah, well, I was interviewed by Marsha Shandor, who is a brilliant interviewer and was uh, did a podcast for uh, XFM. Uh, talking to comedians and she asked me about it and I said in that it prepared me for comedy because that's why I'm not scared of stand-up comedy because if you've knocked on someone's door at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning to try and tell them about the Bible I mean nothing's scary after that at least at least my audience have left the house they they've come out they want to hear what I have to say I mean that's huge if you had to go and as a comedian knock on doors with your microphone and go so any Americans in? You know, like, it, it would be it's so like, daunting. It's so, like when people say put yourself out there. It's like you you did do that yeah. in lots of ways. So I think for that reason, uh, I, I, when Marsha interviewed me and I found that bit, that's a funny bit about if at least these people have left the house. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, I know what's funny about this. I've got a way of saying being a Jehovah's Witness and then going to stand-up comedy is a it's, it's an obvious route it's an obvious route through you've already foisted your opinions on other people who didn't really want to hear them mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> before I had the Bible now at least I have jokes people would rather have jokes than the Bible so <laughs> it, it, as soon as I found that way in then I was happy to talk about it mm-hmm. um, and I think 
Yeah, so I went from this improv uh, time in my life where I, I, I really started improvising as an antidote to cult living, which is a place where everything's thought for you and improv is the opposite of that. So what Patty taught me, it's trust your instincts, trust your obvious, say yes, be in the moment. And um, I started teaching improv when Patty left because we wanted to develop a, that school of improv here in London. And I, Patty, before she left, said, stop watching what I'm teaching and start watching how I'm teaching. And she made me like mm-hmm. watch her teach workshops. And so I understood how to break it down and how to teach it. And I was just lucky I had the same sort of mind that mm-hmm. I could deconstruct it and then develop my own work off the back of that. So I was, um, some comedians are very, very intuitive. And the last thing they want to do is deconstruct it because then they feel they'll lose it, which may be true, but I'm quite analytical. So I'm, I was lucky and I liked to break things down like that. And so I then was teaching improv on the weekends and people from the BBC would always come and they'd go, my team needs this. They want to be more creative and more collaborative. Could you come in and teach uh, a session at my, you know, for, to, for my team in marketing or whatever at the BBC mm-hmm. which I did and everyone was like oh it's great corporate work it's so you know well paid and stuff but I found it not helpful to people because I just thought the, the extroverts would have fun but for the introverts that's hellish mm-hmm. to have to improvise in front of your colleagues anybody having to improvise in front of their colleagues their boss their people who work for them it's it's too much high pressure like if you come to improv classes on the weekend, and if you do want to find more of a comedic voice for storytelling and stand-up, I really recommend it, Emma. Mm. So improv classes, you if you want if you go once a week and you learn to say yes and you learn to access your imagination, you start to connect ideas. It's quite a vulnerable place to be, is it? It's if you at, go at with first. the right teachers, it's great. Um, it's amazing. Uh, if you go with the wrong teachers, it's not great. Um, it, it can be counterproductive. If you come, not with your colleagues, you just go and work with some bunch of like-minded people, strangers, whoever, then yes, for a year, you do that for a year, it will change your life. One afternoon in front of your colleagues? No, it's not going to do anything. It's going to make it worse, if anything. I mean, some people will go, oh, yes, and okay, great. But I don't really... Because don't you spend your whole time at work trying to be taken seriously and then... I think exactly. I think it's, it's just not the place for that. So what I thought is... I didn't, people, other improv groups often would be like, oh, it's money for old rope, the corporates. And I used to think, no, I don't want to sell anything I don't believe in. So I thought, what can I teach people to do in an afternoon or in an hour at work with their colleagues that's going to be actually useful? It's amazing that you've taken those skills and you can use them in so many different ways. The corporate world, the stand-up world, it, it all links in together. They could look quite separate to the outside, but when you say it like that, of course they all... Yeah, they're all very... They're the same thing. They're all the same thing. So, yes. So, talking of helping people in a kind of corporate world, but through improv and through empowerment and all of the things you just said. So, The Guilty Feminist Mm -hmm. is launching Include Yourself workshops. Yes. Yes. So, The Guilty Feminist is my podcast in which um, I explore with other comedians uh, and guests... uh, our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities that undermine those goals. It's the best. It's one of my favourite podcasts. The the fact that you can, and I think this is comedy as a whole, isn't it? That comedy allows people to be more honest than they could be if they were being serious. 
Yes. Yeah. And that's what I love is you guys spell out such serious topics, but you're kind of having a little guilty laugh. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's a place where we can admit our paradoxes. But I think the success of the podcast is is to do with the fact that we haven't just said, oh, well, that's me. Like we've gone. So how do I change that then? Mm-hmm. How do I push? How do I make it? Because because it's elastic. Like if. OK, so I want to close the pay gap. I want more p- women in positions of influence. I want at least 50 percent of positions of influence to be filled by women because I think the world's a better place and a fairer place and I think we'll get better results I just don't think any homogenised unsupervised group should be in charge of everything for everyone I mean that's just mm. clearly they're <laughs> going to start to work in their, to their own advantage even if they don't realise they're doing that um, but I also want to look good sitting down naked and I know <laughs> that what does good look like why do I think good looks like that billboard well I know why I've been brainwashed by billboards since I was a kid I've been brainwashed by network television to think that a, a concave stomach is better than a, a slightly rounded stomach I mean that's insane because that's not what most stomachs look like but I've been seduced into mm-hmm. thinking that so a lot of feminism now is well it's a choice it's a choice everything's a choice it's like, well, I choose really uncomfortable shoes and, you know, false eyelashes. And I'm like, sure, it is a choice. But I notice very few men are making the choice to wear uncomfortable shoes and false eyelashes. <laughs> so within the understanding that we've all been uh, brainwashed by patriarchy, I'm going to question it. I'm going to kind of go, well, what if I wear flat shoes for three months and then decide when I want to wear high heels Mm -hmm. do I want to wear them do they make me feel empowered do they make me feel taller do they make me feel fabulous great there's nothing wrong with femme we we there is there's also a backlash against people who want to dress up and be femme and that's misogynistic in its own way as well um but am I doing it because I feel I ought because I feel I should because I feel like I'm letting somebody down or am I doing it because it's genuine Mm self-expression so the guilty feminist is about pushing on those places and finding out who we really are what we really want what is really empowering to ourselves and other women yeah and i love that self-awareness of it that 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 self-awareness through comedy is is it's a good magic ingredient i think a lot of stuff for women is either cocktail shoes and that sex in the city place which we are beyond now Mm -hmm. um not that sex in the city wasn't influential and innovative in its day it really was but we're clearly in a different era yeah or it's very serious, um, not very fun. It feels like homework. Mm-hmm. And I think that that a play space, an intelligent play space in the middle is, yeah. you know... Um, it's like places like Teen Vogue who are... People are shocked that Teen Vogue can talk about politics and Donald Trump in an intelligent way and also be like, here's some makeup brushes that you might like. It's like you can, you can yeah. have both. I mean, makeup's just decoration. I quite like going on panels with, like, men in suits wearing a pink dress and yeah. coming out with clever stuff. Because yeah. I'm like, I like pink. But also, I just don't see... A decoration is something that separates us from the animals. I was saying on a recent um, podcast about makeup, I'm amazed that women got makeup, not men, in terms mm. of the patriarchal structures. Because men wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and think, well, that's as good as I'm going to look all day. <laughs> I mean, we have proper recourse to paint our face and reinvent it in 
any way we want. Like we we get proper decoration, we get concealment of anything we don't want to show. We can reveal anything yeah. we do want to show. We can highlight. We can make our eyes bigger. And makeup. What we've discovered in the it hasn't come out yet, but in that podcast is that um, uh, men and women wore makeup up until Victorian times. It was not a female thing. It was it was men and men and women always wore makeup. And in Victorian times, it became t- to be seen as just sort of um, uh, n- not for sensible Christian upright people. And so everyone gave it up because Queen Victoria didn't mm. approve of it. And then I reckon it was when she was in mourning up at Balmoral, women went, she's not been around for ages. Can I not <laughs> just have a bit of eyeliner? Can I not <laughs> just do a bit of powder? Come on, guys. And women, it crept back for women and it never crept back for men. And then it became to be seen as something feminine. That is interesting because isn't it male peacocks who have like the beautiful... Yeah. I'm amazed. The patriarchy makes sure men get all the good stuff. We accidentally (laughs) got the good stuff. And then I think there is sometimes a feeling because women have it, it's womanish. So Mm. we should give that up and have what men have. And I'm like, they've got nothing. Why am I giving up this for nothing? Like, and again, it's, you know, we had Pippa Evans on and she talked about um, giving up makeup and then coming back to it. Now she wears it when she wants Mm -hmm. and it's a choice. It's not, it's not a mask. Yeah. And I think it's got to be an adornment, not a mask. It's got to be a feeling of I'm going to be creative or I feel today like I'm going to this meeting and I want to look fabulous and I want to be able to draw that on you know other times take me as I am I'm not wearing you know Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not wearing anything it's Um, like anything it's like you're not a slave to it it's a free freeing thing exactly exactly and the 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 podcast has got necessarily more political um the first one we ever did was nudity and my challenge was to go and um pose for a life drawing class because I'm not a naked person more people saw me naked in that night life drawing <laughs> class than probably had ever seen me naked previously. But it was very empowering when I did power poses, when I had to lie down and I did the full Kate Winslet. Oh my God. Paint me as one of your French <gasps> girls, Jack. And I actually found it extremely empowering. And I'm much more likely now in a gym changing room mm-hmm. to just go, fuck it. And like, isn't it interesting that you could do TED Talk, stand up, all this stuff to thousands and that could be scary it's a different scary it's yeah, like Lena, I Lena do Dunham the, always says I didn't says do that. the TED talk naked though and I think that's key <laughs> for any listeners you're just going to go and b- break YouTube searches now for that no. but because Lena Dunham always says that um, people say she's brave for being naked in girls and she's like yeah but that doesn't scare me whereas she had to leave her own premiere party after 10 minutes because she got anxious mm. so it was like scary for her as going to her own party not getting her body out yes different, different nervousness Yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that was that was where I started was with nudity, but as it's gone on because of the world, you know, we've started doing ones on activism yeah, and, and the emergency ones. Are yeah, amazing. yeah, we've had some amazing times doing emergency ones around Trump and the Muslim ban, and you know, we've talked about Brexit a lot, and um, we're doing one tonight, which is a fundraiser for the Women's Equality Party about the election, um, and uh, we did one on activism where we flew over a Polish activist who had successfully uh, stopped a more, even more draconian abortion law coming in in Poland with a, with a protest, with a successful protest. So, you know, we're sort of responding to the world, you know, when mm. we started, which was only a year and a half ago. Well, I was, well, was going to ask you that because I feel like obviously podcasting is having, a you know, a boom again, even though it's not necessarily that new, but the idea of that growth, how do you manage something that was, 
I'm guessing like a fun sort of like, let's try this is now going to be a full time job for you. Because you have, I mean, it's an incredible, incredible platform. I guess, you know, you go where the energy is. Um, And so the, what I was saying before about the corporate work is that um, I discovered some techniques around status that come partly from improv and partly from stand up that were useful to people. And I became most interested in sharing those with women in business because so many businesses now have a real drive to recruit and retain and promote more women. And so of course that's, that's my area of interest. So I became very interested in that. I also work with LGBT groups, um, sometimes with people of color, just talking about how, if you are diverse, if you're, if you're the only person that looks like you in a room or one of very few, it's harder to assume inclusion and white straight men as a trend, not every individual, like as a trend, if you see someone overly including themselves in a meeting, it'll probably be a white straight man. And that's nothing special about white straight men. If you take a white straight man and put him into the middle of a Colombian drug cartel, he will include himself a lot less. Mm. He will mansplain nothing. He will manterrupt not at all. <laughs> and even if the, the drug cartel boss turns to him and says, what do you think we should do, Toby? He will probably not risk inclusion. He'll probably say, what you're doing is great. And even though his background is in shipping and receiving, and that's exactly where they're having problems, he doesn't want to suggest anything, even if he can see a solution. Because if they implement it and it goes wrong, he'll be shot in the head. And for a lot of diverse people, the emotional stakes feel very similar in their workplace. If I start contributing, I'm already the different one. I already look different. I already sound different. I'm already seen as different. I'm already not invited out for beers and or can't go because, you know, I've got a new baby and or I'm uh, my religion doesn't precludes me from drinking in bars or I'm an alcoholic or, you know, I just don't want to go. Um, I might have anxiety or whatever it is. Um, if you feel like an outsider, you're much less likely to then start pitching unique ideas, uh, because you don't want to be the cause of change because you're already, Mm -hmm. you already feel like the cause of change in every room you're in because you feel like the responsibility is on others to include you. You're not naturally included. So the work that I started to do for women in business was about self-inclusion. How can you include yourself? How can you assume inclusion? And increasingly for organizations to get their, um, their senior partners uh, to understand how the, what the value of diversity is and then how they can best actually include diverse staff. Not just so, well, she's got a badge, she's got a lanyard she's got a computer she's got an email address what does she want (laughs) so that she feels she belongs or so that he feels he belongs Mm -hmm. in an organization where that that person is not the dominant group or for whatever reason there's anxiety about them fully self-including um and i'm loving how many organizations are hiring me not to talk to the women now to talk to senior men and women about looking for diversity within the organization and actively including diverse people, hiring more diversely, but then including once they're there. And so many people have said, I didn't realize this. I thought, well, I've hired some diverse ones, done. And don't realize that the responsibility on them is still to include. Yeah. Because it's, otherwise it's, the way I can explain it to them is, have you ever been to your, um, to your partner's school reunion or your partner's family wedding? Mm. And yeah, you've got a name badge. You've got a glass of wine. You've got a chair. You're not included. You do not feel like you belong and you don't yeah, contribute You're much. like flapping on the outsides, yeah. kind of being like, oh, let me in. Yeah. So I'm very, very interested in that. So the Include Yourself Day we're doing for the Guilty Feminist is about that staff. So I'm showing 
the women who attend uh, how to take up space. So what I do when I do stand-up comedy to feel safe and comfortable on the stage and to feel that I can lead that room to a place without anxiety. So it's something that I look forward to and it is fun for me, not something that I dread. Um, and so I'm showing them those things. Then we've got breakouts and the breakouts are with um, me. I'm doing one on story. Uh, Jess Foster Q, who's doing stand-up comedy. We've got somebody coming along uh, called Karen Gibson who's doing a gospel choir. So you can learn Amazing. to sort of take up space with your voice. Um, you could choose to do um, big speeches from Shakespeare, like Henry V's uh, Once More Into the Breach, which really teaches you about how to take up space and how to take up vocal space. Because it's hard to do male speeches from Shakespeare saying, oh, um, just had a thought about the breach. I don't know if it's worth mentioning, but I'd like to go to the breach. If anyone else wants to go, or, or we could go to your breach, whatever breach is, or fine, we don't have to go to the breach, but I'd like to go just popping on the table in case anyone has a thought about the breach. You can't do that. You have to say once more into the breach and you have to move forward. It, the speeches force you. Um, oh, that sounds incredible. And the last section of the day is a special episode of The Guilty Feminist, which will be live. We're not putting it out on the normal part of the podcast. Um, we'll probably like have it available for five quid or something just so we don't piss off everyone who's bothered to come to the day. Yeah. Um, but it's with Sue Williams, uh, Suzanne Williams, and she is a hostage negotiator. She used to work for MI5 to try and Whoa. get hostages back. Um, and she now does that freelance. Wow. And so I want to learn everything from her mm-hmm. about negotiating. It's going to be an amazing day. Tom from Bake Off is baking us Smash the Patriarchy brownies. <laughs> Love it. So we're all going to get our own little um, toffee patriarchy to smash. And uh, where can people buy tickets? Uh, if you go to guiltyfeminist.com and you click on include yourself. So it's £195 because we've got to rent out the whole venue, so five rooms, and do lunch and hire all of these amazing women for people to work with and pay them well. Uh, but we are also doing some £10 places for women who can't afford it because we don't want it to be exclusive. So if you can afford it, please pay. Uh, and if you can afford it even more, please chip in for another feminist to come. Um, but if you can't afford it, please apply for a £10 ticket and one way or another, uh, we will try and sort that out for you on this day or another day. So please go to guiltyfeminist.com, include yourself um, and come on May 22nd or tell us that you can't afford it and we'll try and sort you out. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's brilliant. And it's the first one that you're doing? It's the very first one. It's very exciting. Yeah, it very sounds exciting. so good. Get your ticket to that because that sounds absolutely amazing. And I wanted to ask, with your workshops, podcast, stand-up, corporate stuff, is there anything that you still do to this day which is your own personal tactic or technique that doesn't get you nervous or anxious or are you are you totally kind of out of that zone now yeah I don't I don't really have that anymore I um because when I did my my TEDx talk there was a girl backstage who taught me the superman pose oh yes sorry superwoman pose superwoman pose that, yes. get, that gets your cortisol it's, yeah it's down meant, or up I, I think it's meant to get your testosterone up and that's it um and I think your cortisol down or yeah. something like that. It's it's there's something like that. But it works. Well, some people say that's been debunked, but you you just know intuitively that power poses. It's hard to like my TED talk. It's hard to come towards the audience. And feel oh yes, people of listening, them. please Google Deborah Francis White TEDx Cambridge. It is incredible. Although if you are coming on the day, Google it after the day because because. 
it's I mean that's only 12 minutes of the day but I still don't want you ruining it for yourself spoilers spoilers good point um it's only 12 minutes of an eight-hour day but I still would rather you not have seen it even Um, though I watched that and then I was like so I was even more excited about coming to the day you should watch it because I feel like I wanted more Mm. so either way okay you know you can all right you're allowed to watch it (laughs) If you're into, if you're a swing voter, if you're too much <laughs> about the day, go to the TEDx talk, TEDx Cambridge, Deborah Francis White. It's about the difference between stage fright and charisma. If you're already sold on the day, then don't don't watch it because yeah. I don't want any spoilers. It's a bit like watching the trailer for a movie now. Very you know, true. And the trailer, trailer, yeah, the trailer's just it edited down. Oh, it's so annoying. So I went annoying. to see Their Finest, which I absolutely loved, but the trailer gave gave away so many of the good jokes and the story yeah yeah. I was so annoyed by it it's like oh thanks for giving me the beginning middle and the end like what is that about and the best jokes and I understand why they're doing it because it's all about the opening weekend so they want me to think there's a hundred jokes yeah as good as that in any given you know when really you're watching the whole thing and you're like "Mm, it's funny but I've seen that yes and we don't get the big laughs in the same way so yeah I would say I don't get anxious now unless I did I'll tell you what I played Las Vegas last year 5,000 people and that's there's a tip over there where I went okay I'm gonna have to walk around the stage before the show so I asked to spend some time on the stage uh, because I know the things to do I lean on the front foot I come towards the audience I, I play to the back of the room yeah, because that's if your energy goes out to the back, you're getting those people in. Um, I know there are certain things that I need to do, mm. but I like to walk around the stage um, and make it home. Yeah, uh, sit on a chair on the stage, put my feet up, do a bit of texting on the stage. Um, if I spend some time there, then it's my home. That's so interesting. So I always need to walk around the space if it's if it's going to be a big, if it's going to be bigger than a thousand. Yeah. I would prefer to do that if it's more than a thousand I wouldn't it's the same to me it's like yeah. 20 people or 200 that makes so much sense 500 it doesn't really make any difference because if you were coming out on the stage for the first time like even just imagining that gives me like nervousness I think now I'm much I'd be more nervous of a small audience than a large one because mm. a small audience isn't really an audience if you've got 20 people sitting apart in a hundred seater they don't behave like an audience you have to right. get them to sit together yeah and the Guilty Feminist has been lovely because it, the shows we're touring the show and it seems to be selling mm. out everywhere, which is amazing and a huge privilege that people are happy to come out to see it. And I think it's partly because it's tribe. You know, they're coming out to yes. be with other women yeah. who feel yeah. similarly and are also trying to get feminism right and not and being yeah. okay with that and yeah. wanting to do more. And you can really tell on the podcast because it's you know it's like an episode of Friends, like the laughter. Oh. <laughs> it's just like you can tell everyone's just having the best time. Bless. Thank you so much. But, Thank you. Thank you. That's really nice. That's a lovely thing to say. Did you hear that? Like an episode of Friends. <laughs> I remember that. When With we loads loved... of guilty feminist talk. Exactly. We we used to love Friends. When I watch Friends now, I think, oh, there are some things in that now where you go, this is quite fat shaming. Yeah. Also, we were just talking the... about like Little Britain and those old school yeah. things. I just feel like we've we've come a long There's way. There's quite a lot of transphobia in Friends as well. Like it's 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 like a constant joke about Chandler's Chandler's father. Who, oh yeah, yeah. And oh it yeah. Is, it's sort of like I don't know, but it's just the times have changed. Yeah. Also, now I don't think you would make a show about six white straight people. Exactly, and I feel like they maybe felt they were cutting edge to have a character like Chandler's dad in it. 
but now it's like no no it's mm. it's you need to include people and not mock them ross uh, yes <laughs> ross well actually it's a funny one isn't it because ross's wife everyone but ross is incredibly cool uh, it's, it's like one of the first shows to have a lesbian wedding that was really celebrated and Ross wasn't not cool because she was a lesbian. It was just that he still loved her and she was having his kid and he was kind of massively sad about that. But it was quite progressive in that way. Mm. But now when you look at it, it just feels quite clunky in how it's presented. But that's time moving on as well. You can't, you know... It's it's almost a good thing to realise how dated things can get so quickly mm. but then we need to do another episode just on picking apart friends um, that would be great yeah. well thank Fri- you so friends much friends in 2017 a progressive look backwards <laughs> a progressive look into the past um, thanks for coming on you are the dream guest and I'm excited for your workshops I'm excited for future Guilty Feminist episodes and everything else um, I look forward to you having you on the Guilty Feminist soon yes. be that's going to be the best day ever so that's cool. like that and Desert Island this are my dreams. Aww. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Um, thank you. Thank you.